Well, good morning, Encounter Church. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. If uh, for some reason maybe you didn't bring uh, your copy of God's Word, uh, I really want to encourage you to grab a copy of it that might be at uh, a chair uh, near you. It will just be helpful. Uh, we, are, we are going to probably turn to a couple of different passages, uh, so I hope your fingers are all exercised and stretched out and, and ready for that. Uh, but Matthew chapter 5, we'll continue in our teaching series here on the Sermon on the Mount. As you're making your way to the book of Matthew, I just want to, uh, I see Yana is here this morning. Yana, uh, I, I think uh, we need to um, praise the Lord for this answer to prayer. Uh, we have, as a church, we every Sunday, uh, Dave Singleton and uh, Linda, they, they put together a prayer guide that you can pick up on uh, one of the information tables out in the cafe area. And uh, for the last four or five months on this prayer guide that's available to us as a church, we've been praying for Yana's uh, sister, Annie. Uh, Yana shared this email with a number of us uh, just uh, a couple days ago uh, regarding this good news. It was about five months ago um, this almost to the same week, five months ago, that um, Yana, Yana's family and Annie, she was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer. And uh, the doctors told Annie and, and their, fa- their family, uh, just pretty much straight up, we were told, Yana said, that bottom line, she needs a miracle. Fast forward, Yana shared, Five months later, Annie got her miracle. Uh, she had surgery this past Tuesday. Uh, a six-hour surgery was done in three hours. Uh, the tumor was very risky. They weren't even sure if they were going to be able to remove the tumor, but the tumor was completely removed, no complications at all. Uh, the doctors said that there might be some, some cells, uh, some cancer cells in her stomach. They, they didn't find any cancer cells in there. At the end of the surgery, the doctors said they were amazed at all they saw. But that, that yeah, you can, we can praise the Lord for that. And, uh, and so the doctors have said that she will have some treatment moving forward. Uh, but it's as if going forward, uh, I mean, we just see the Lord, his hand in all this. And uh, we praise the Lord for that. And that's why, as a church, we pray. And, and that's why, uh, as a church, we gather on the first Wednesday of the month for our, as all of our encounter groups come together here at the building to pray together. Uh, that's why uh, Steve and Linda Dill and Tom Dill and a couple others every Sunday morning from 9 to 9.30 uh, faithfully gather in that room. And all of us are invited to, to pray and seek the Lord for these things. And God doesn't always answer the prayers in the way we would want him to. And honestly, that probably is what makes prayer so difficult for us, isn't it? Because we, we demand and we want an answer the way we want it to. And so it's hard to trust in God's will. And, and we trust the Lord even when, even when we don't hear responses like this, don't we? We, we trust that the Lord. But still, in, in all of that, God, God invites us to go, come to him in prayer. And so we praise the Lord for him healing 
uh, Yana's sister Annie, and we will continue to pray for her uh, in the months going forward. And so we celebrate that this morning. Well, I hope you've found your way. You've had plenty of time now to find your way to Matthew chapter 5 and to find a copy of God's Word and follow along with me as I read uh, there, starting in verse 17. Verses 17 through 20 is where we will uh, focus our efforts this morning. Jesus uh, saying these words, verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I would say probably for some of us, maybe not all of us, but for some of us, uh, we can have the tendency to distill our relationship with Jesus um, down to a, a, a kind of a list of do's and don'ts, right? Or, or a, a task list of, well, because I call myself a Christian, then every morning the pastor tells me I should wake up and, and do a quiet time. And also, because I call myself a, a Christian, I should, I should be nice to other people, right? And so, I, so this morning on, on my way here, when that person cut me off, I waved a friendly wave to them. I was nice to them instead of saying mean things under, under my breath, right? And so you kind of check that mark. It does seem that we have a tendency at times to distill or to, to define our relationship with Jesus down to a list of of do's and don'ts. And as we find ourselves now here in Matthew uh, chapter 5, in this great sermon that Jesus uh, was preaching, especially for those disciples who, who had just only probably a few days prior, had left their nets behind and had answered the call that Jesus had on their life where Jesus said, come and follow me. And they, and they turned away from their old way of living and they're now, they're living for Jesus or they're, they're going to follow Jesus. And Jesus sets them down. And again, these disciples would have been good Jewish men. So they would have been very familiar with the Old Testament law. And then Jesus sits down and begins preaching to them. And almost to some extent, we, we almost get the feel that, that Jesus is Jesus adding more onto this long list of do's and don'ts. And so as, as the disciples are sitting there and, and Jesus is preaching to them, you know, and, and Jesus starts, starts saying, blessed are the peacemakers. And so they're, they're pulling out their ledger sheet and, and adding another, another, another task list to their long, already growing list of do's and don'ts. And so they're doing this, or maybe the more tech-savvy disciples pull out their iPhone and start putting it down on an app. I don't know, but they're probably in their mind, they're thinking to themselves, whew, man, more rules? More, more, uh, more to add to my list 
of do's and don'ts. But Jesus, it seems as if in a very helpful way. In a very helpful way, Jesus, I would suggest, almost probably put the disciples, maybe potentially anxious hearts, to ease a little bit as he then starts in verse 17 through 20. And Jesus, what Jesus is going to do is, is Jesus is going to help us to see that following him, for those of us who, who turn and follow Jesus, it's not about an adherence to a long list of do's and don'ts. But instead, what Jesus is going to help us to see is that J- Jesus is going to want us to stop thinking about it as a list of do's and don'ts, but instead Jesus wants us to get really to the heart of the matter where Jesus is going to help us want to obey him from the heart. That's what Jesus is going to show us. And in a sense, this morning, our big idea is maybe going to be more of a prayer. It's going to be maybe, maybe even a, a, a plea for help, asking the Lord to say, to help us, Jesus to help us, to not just see him, following him as following all of these rules, but instead that God would, that Jesus would change our hearts and really have a desire to want to follow him out of our hearts. And, and I believe, hopefully, Lord willing, we can unpack this passage this morning. As I was preparing for this earlier in the week and, and, and reading the passage and reading different texts and different things that people have written about it, one of the first sentences that uh, one of the commentators wrote, he said, this is by far one of the most difficult passages in all of Scripture to teach. And there, so I'm starting, I'm like, well, well, great, you know, why, am, you know, why, why didn't I, I assign this passage to Pastor Dan, right, or, or someone else? Why did I take this on myself? But here we go. It's not an easy passage for us. It's not an easy passage to understand, but even more importantly, I think it's, it's a difficult passage to live out as well. Because honestly, uh, following rules and having a checklist can be easy, Right? We can force ourselves to do that. But what we're going to be asking Jesus to do is to change our hearts. To change our hearts. And so this morning we join with this big idea and we plead to Jesus. Jesus, help us to learn to obey you from the heart. Well, we look here at this first point and we're going to see here in verses 17 through 18 that Jesus lives out the Old Testament perfectly. I appreciate what, what Michael Fay shared with us earlier. He said, it's like the New Testament. We, we view the New Testament as having that new car smell. <laughs> we like the New Testament. And we, we've kind of bought this lie that the Old Testament is just kind of dusty and, and uh, we don't pay much attention to it. But Jesus is going to help us see this differently. We're going to see that Jesus lives out the Old Testament perfectly. And we see there in verse 17 and 18, where Jesus explains, he says, I've come and, and through me I have fulfilled all the Old Testament law. I've fulfilled the law and the prophets. Jesus had a way of turning everything on its head. Jesus has a way of making you rethink what you've always thought you knew to be true. And we saw this in, in recent weeks there in the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes alone would have caused many questions as Jesus made promises to these disciples and to those who are listening, Jesus made promises in the Beatitudes that reversed all popular notions of right and wrong. 
Jesus there in the Beatitudes pronounced a blessing on all that popular opinion considered to be worthless. And so as the disciples are sitting there and listening to Jesus teach, they might be scratching their heads, wondering if everything that they've learned in the Old Testament up to this point in their lives was no longer necessary. These men would have known the Old Testament. They would have been familiar with the book of Psalms, memorizing much of it in their hearts, memorizing it in their minds there. And so they, they would have known the Old Testament law and the prophets. They, they probably would have been curious that if this kingdom that Jesus claims to be ushering in, if Jesus is now introducing a new set of rules, right, a new set of laws for them to follow, or like I mentioned already, was Jesus adding more to this long list of laws that they already were trying to keep anyway? Another hesitation the disciples may have had is that by following Jesus, uh, maybe Jesus is suggesting to them that they need to forsake or they need to turn their back on all of the Old Testament that they've learned up to this point. All right? it, do, are, are you telling us, Jesus, that here within this teaching that, that the Old Testament no longer matters? Again, Jesus does require an exclusive allegiance. And so is Jesus advocating that the disciples overthrow the Old Testament laws. Is, is that what Jesus is, is telling us to do? In verses 17 and 18, Jesus addresses these very concerns. It's almost as if Jesus can, he, he knows the minds and the hearts of these disciples. Where he understands maybe some of their concerns, some of their hesitations. And so Jesus addresses these concerns Right? One can only imagine the sigh of relief the disciples must have experienced when Jesus declares that he had not come to abolish the Old Testament law or the prophets, but instead he came to fulfill them. Jesus came to explain, to live out, and to interpret the Old Testament law and the prophets for them, right there before their very eyes. Again, we've mentioned it several times. Again, one of the wrong perspectives that we sometimes have as followers of Jesus living in this, war, in this time period is we do think that the Old Testament is not as important as the New Testament. We do like that new car smell. And I don't know, maybe you have thought of it in that way, that you've just kind of uh, shrugged your shoulders a little bit at the Old Testament. Sometimes we think that these, these two testaments might actually be separate storylines, as if the Old Testament, God, God tried to bring about salvation through our works or through being good, but, but he failed in that attempt, and so then in the New Testament, he, he gives it a new try, another try. Okay, so Jesus, I guess I'll send a Savior as if Jesus is some sort of plan B, and the New Testament helps us to see that. Sometimes we, we fall into those traps of seeing the Old Testament and the New Testament disjointed in, di in different ways. But what Jesus helps the disciples to understand is that the two are part of the same storyline of God's grace. That Jesus helps the disciples to understand that he is not opposed to the Old Testament. Jesus helps the disciples to understand that he's not rearranging or he's not changing the rules but instead, Jesus says, I'm fulfilling. I'm fulfilling all that the disciples knew to be true. Jesus 
is putting on display before their very eyes that which the Old Testament taught and anticipated. Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament law and he's proving to confirm the scriptures of the Old Testament. It's not that Jesus is changing the Old Testament. It's not that Jesus is subtracting from it or adding to it. But what Jesus is doing and what he's going to help the disciples to see and understand in the Old Testament is Jesus is going to help them through his life to see how Jesus lives out the Old Testament. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Now, interestingly, a careful read of the book of Matthew will help you to see that Matthew really focuses in on how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. And keep in mind, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience, wanting them to, to understand that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, that Jesus is the long-awaited King that they've been, that they've been anticipating and waiting. And so, so what Matthew does, and you see this, that word that Jesus uses there in verse 17, look at, at your copy of God's word, where Jesus says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Matthew, as an author of this gospel, recording the life of Jesus, Matthew actually uses that word fulfill within his gospel 15 different times. Matthew uses it 15 different times because what he wants to emphasize is he wants the readers to know that Jesus is indeed the one that they've been waiting for, the one that they've been longing after. So throughout his book, what, what Matthew does is he says, yeah, Jesus fulfills this prophecy. Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. Jesus fulfilled this one time and time again. And in fact, at our, uh, here coming up in April, at our Good Friday service, uh, we're actually going to be having a Seder meal. We're going to be doing a Passover meal. And through that Passover meal, together as a church, we are, it's, and it's very experiential, all right? So come prepared for a long experience around the table together as a church. But through that meal, we are going to be reminded how Jesus does indeed fulfill the long-awaited anticipations of the Jewish believers there in the Old Testament. So, so what Jesus does, Jesus lives out the Old Testament perfectly. He says, I've not come to abolish the law. I, I've not come to cause you to second-guess what's been written in the Old Testament. And, and in fact, he says, look at me and you'll see the Old Testament. Jesus is the object toward which the entire Old Testament points. The law and the prophets, they all are directing our attention to Jesus. The Old Testament is like one big signpost pointing to Jesus. And the only way that a person is able to perfectly live out the law and the prophets is through Jesus. So then in verse 18, we see that Jesus reiterates his commitment to the entire Old Testament by declaring that not even the smallest letter or notation can be ignored. Jesus' life and ministry does not ignore the Old Testament but instead it brings it to fruition. When we read the Old Testament, 
Even some of the more mundane, what we consider to be mundane books like Leviticus and Numbers, we should always be reading the Old Testament with Jesus in mind, looking for those signposts that point us to Jesus. And so what Jesus did is Jesus lived out all of those Old Testament laws. He lived them out perfectly. He fulfilled them for us. And the fact that we can't live them out perfectly should only point us to Jesus. I believe that we can safely say that to obey Jesus is to fulfill the law of the Old Testament. So that as as we place our faith in Jesus and as we live our lives in, in obedience to him, we are indeed through that, we are fulfilling the Old Testament law. So now the next question some people might have in verse 19, and, and again, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, the disciples who are questioning, what do we do now with the Old Testament? Jesus says, I've come to fulfill that Old Testament. Believe in me through that. And so now they're wondering, okay, so can we just do whatever we want to do? But Jesus then goes on and he, he confirms that obedience still matters. In verse 19, Jesus reaffirms the importance of obedience to his commands, and the necessity to teach others to obey his commands as well. Look there in verse 19. All right, here's what Jesus says. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, our temptation, okay, here's, here's what we are tempted to do, is we think about the Old Testament law and all of those rules and all of those regulations, and then we hear a verse that tells us Jesus fulfilled all of those rules and regulations, that the tempting thing is for us to say, okay, well, Jesus has taken care of all of that, all I need to do is believe in him, and I can go and live however I want to live, right? Right? I think there's some people that they might say, well, little Johnny said a prayer back when he was a four-year-old in Sunday school class, but yet little Johnny hasn't lived according to God's word. And, and so sometimes I think you have to kind of call into question, is that person really a follower of Jesus just because they may have, have, they may have made a declaration, they may have said, Jesus, come into my heart, pray to prayer, but yet they've not truly followed Jesus. Jesus is helping us to understand that to truly follow him means to obey his commands. So Jesus, by, by Jesus coming and fulfilling all of those Old Testament laws doesn't mean that we can just live however we want In fact, Jesus says, obedience still matters. I want you to know that Matthew, here in chapter 5, as he's detailing Jesus' earthly ministry, some of the... Matthew helps us to see that there at the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, as Jesus is really entering into that public ministry, Jesus emphasizes obedience to his commands. Right there in verse 19, doesn't he? What does he say? He says that, it is, uh, that you should practice his commands, that you should teach other people to practice his commands as well. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Matthew... How does the book of Matthew conclude? In Matthew 28, you often refer to it as what? The Great Commission. And what is the task that Jesus' words 
What does Jesus tell us there in the Great Commission as Matthew records some of the final words of Jesus there in his public ministry? Here's what Jesus says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And Jesus says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and what? And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. The Gospel of Matthew has Jesus' entire earthly ministry, he bookends it with the instruction to obey him. All right? The beginning here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, I've come to fulfill all the Old Testament laws. Obey me. Jesus says, now as I leave you, teach others to obey me as well. And Jesus is maintaining the same position of the Old Testament. Because way back in the book of Deuteronomy, God told the Israelite people, everything that I commanded you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. As a follower of Jesus, obedience to his commands is a big deal. Obedience to his commands is a big deal. In calling us to repent by turning away from how we used to live, Jesus is calling us into a single-minded obedience to him. Jesus' instructions is that we would live in these ways. It's impossible for us to turn and follow Jesus without taking on a new way of living. Let me say that again. It's impossible for us to truly follow Jesus without taking on a new way of living. Because that's what Jesus really, he's introducing the kingdom way of living to these disciples. And so he's tying together, he's uniting, he's helping us to see how the Old Testament and the New Testament do, do, do come together. And they're all teaching us about Jesus and his call to follow him and to believe in him and to obey him. You see, Jesus knows our hearts. Jesus knows our tendency to relax God's commands. Jesus knows how much we love looking for the loopholes in his commands. Jesus knows how often how often we hide the important details in the fine print. Jesus knows all the ways that we seem to come up with excuses as to why we really don't need to take him seriously. Or why, maybe for one reason or another, Jesus doesn't really mean what he says. In our hearts, we are very good at sidestepping Jesus' commands Believing them to be minefields rather than springs of living water. We even have a way of spiritualizing our disobedience to, to Jesus' commands, claiming that we are mature enough in our faith to blaze our own trail, to do it our own way. Because as we continue on, in this Sermon on the Mount, there's going to be some hard teachings. 
that we're going to encounter. There's going to be some hard teachings that I will have the privilege of preaching. (laughs) And we all will have the privilege of listening to and sitting under. And our heart's tendency is going to be this. Well, that's not really what he means. Or, there's got to be a loophole through that. (laughs) Or, Michael, let's check the small print out. Because that's what we do, don't we? But look what Jesus said. Because, again, Jesus tells the disciples as they're sitting there listening, wondering, do we still have to follow the Old Testament law? Is this a new law? And Jesus comes and says, believe in me, right? He says, I've, come to, I've not come to, to do away with the Old Testament law. Instead, I've, I've come to fulfill the Old Testament law. And so when you obey me, you are, you are through, through faith in me and, and obedience in me, the Old Testament law is being fulfilled. And then Jesus goes on and he says, all of the Old Testament matters and all of these commands that I'm going to give you matter too. And verse 19, he says, therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will what? Be called least in the kingdom of heaven. He says, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says that you are not, you are not to set aside those commands that I've given you that maybe seem to be an inconvenience to your heart. He says, don't set it aside. And there's an important call for us in what we teach. It's interesting, isn't it? I have to catch this, that Not only does obedience to God's commands have great benefit in this life today, but Jesus tells us that our obedience to his commands impacts our eternal life. Our position in heaven. Because what's he say there at the end of verse 19? He says, whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called what? Great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus tells us that greatness in the kingdom of heaven will not be based on a person's gifts. Greatness in the kingdom of heaven will not be based on a person's success in this world, based upon your popularity or how many people follow you on Instagram. Your greatness in the kingdom of heaven will not be based upon your reputation. It won't be based upon the size of your bank account. It won't be based upon any of that. Jesus says straight out that your position in the kingdom of heaven is how you respond to his commands. Your entrance into the kingdom of heaven is not dependent on your obedience. That's through faith in the one who has fulfilled his commands. Jesus. That's it. But, but Jesus actually says, that, I, I mean, it kind of blows your mind. But how I follow Jesus, how I obey him, how I teach others to do the same, will impact my time in heaven for all of eternity. 
And so each of us, through our daily lives, through the minute-by-minute decisions we make on whether we choose obedience to God's commands or not, how we put into practice God's word and teach it to others affects our standing in his kingdom. Now, again, it's easy for us to just, okay, I get it, Michael, right? Where's the, where's the list of rules? Let me check the boxes. <laughs> I can do this. But Jesus now, as he's speaking to the disciples, he pushes it even a little bit further. Jesus knows that it is possible for us to obey him for all the wrong reasons. It's possible for us to obey him for all of the wrong reasons. And so now Jesus, he turns his attention now to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You almost have to wonder if maybe they were there. I, I'm sure they were, right? They, they were probably there in the crowd as well. And you almost wonder, maybe they were starting to get a little bit sweaty under the collar at this point in time. Because again, what did Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is giving us verse 20 right on the heels of verse 19, where Jesus says greatness in, right? He says, don't, don't, take, don't add to or take away from these commands. Obey them in your own life and teach others to do the same. Jesus is speaking out against the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Here in verse 20, here's what he says. He says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Right Now, now this, this might sound like a compliment to them. But Jesus is going deeper, and we're going to see how Jesus really cuts to the core in the verses that follow in in the weeks to come. We know that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were experts in their ability to have an outward display of obedience to the law, right? They were experts in that. Keep in mind that Jesus is not instructing us to be impressed with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. In fact, this verse is an example of those whom Jesus was speaking out against in the preceding verses. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were those who set aside and they manipulated the law and the prophets. They developed a clever system to manipulate the law in their favor. In fact, they lowered the standard of holiness by only being concerned with an outward conduct. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they interpreted God's law as only applying to outward acts. They were completely neglecting the internal heart. The internal heart. You see, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law they, law, they said that it was wrong to murder a man, but they said nothing about the hate that produced that murder. The teachers of the law, they said it's wrong for a man to commit adultery, but they said nothing about the lust in their heart that produced that adultery. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law said it was wrong to steal, but they said nothing about the covetous, the covetousness which leads to a man, leads a man to steal. See, as long as a man looked good on the outward, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law believed, as long as he looked good on the outward, then he, would, then he was good. He was good with God. Jesus, though, he confronts those Pharisees 
He confronts those teachers of the law later in, his, in, in Matthew's account in, verses, in chapter 23. Jesus confronts them and he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. He says, Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside of, uh, of the cup will also be clean. Now, how many of you have, have had this exact experience when you're unloading the dishwasher? Right? You, you know how this rolls. Right? You, you think, you, you, pull, you pull out that tray of dishes and they all appear to be clean, but then you look on the inside and say, whoa, wait a second. Breakfast and, and dinner is still in here. And, that, and that's what Jesus is confronting the Pharisees. He is saying, you look good on the outside. And he says, go back and clean the inside. Jesus is helping us. In this verse, in verse 20, Jesus is not commending the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Instead, what he's doing is he's calling their bluff. Jesus Jesus is helping us to see behind the facade that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had that they had established. And Jesus is inviting us to an obedience that's directed by faith overflowing from our heart. Jesus is actually saying that this, this outward righteousness... that's not what what I'm concerned about. Jesus Jesus is more concerned about the inward righteousness. You see, you can follow a list of rules and laws and regulations, right? You can go down through that and, and, and check the marks, but Jesus is saying... That the greater, right, to to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you do need a heart change. And that heart change is only brought about by belief in Jesus Christ. See, here in verse 20, Jesus is using a form of exaggeration to drive home the truth that external righteousness without an internal reality will not gain entrance into heaven. The only righteousness that God will accept is the perfection that he gives to those who accept Jesus as their Savior. True righteousness is not defined by a quantity of external deeds, but by the quality of our internal hearts that God makes new. Through our faith in Jesus Christ, we are made righteous because of Christ's perfect obedience. And so here we go back to verse 17, almost in a sense, tying it all together. The one who fulfilled the Old Testament law and the prophets is the one in whom we place our faith. It's the one who we invite to to come and to change our hearts. And here again, we see the harmony of the Old Testament and the New Testament because God's plan all along has been to give us a new heart and it's a heart of obedience, a heart that wants to obey him. Sometimes, Church, we can obey Jesus' commands begrudgingly or for for the wrong reasons. But Jesus is helping us to see that the way of the kingdom is an obedience that begins in our hearts. It's not merely an external obedience. As we strive to live in obedience as members of Jesus' kingdom, we need to first ask the Lord to change our hearts. We need to ask the Lord to shape and mold our hearts. We should be praying the prayer of the psalmist there in Psalm 51.10 where the psalmist says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. 
we should be asking the Lord to help our hearts to fall in love with his word. To be made new again. Turn to Psalm 119 with me, will you? Turn to Psalm 119. You'll find the book of Psalms there in the middle of your Bible. Verses 33 through 40. Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40. You see, the way of Jesus' kingdom, the way of Jesus' kingdom is not keeping a list of rules, but the way of Jesus' kingdom is believing in Jesus and allowing him to change our hearts and that through that internal change, we will then have an external obedience. And that's, Psalm 119 is a, is, is a psalm about how the psalmist loves the law of God. And this psalm seems to have a way of, found in the Old Testament, though it seems it crosses over there into the New Testament of what we're talking about this morning. But it's a psalm that seems to have a way of of helping us to see and asking the Lord and saying, God, this is the type of heart that I want. Look there in verse 33, the psalmist writes, Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the path of your commands, for there I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes, and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things, Preserve, I have pictures of salt. (laughs) Preserve my life according to your word. Fulfill your promise to your servant so that you may be feared. Take away the disgrace I dread, for your laws are good. How I long for your precepts in your righteousness. Preserve my life. And it is in Jesus' righteousness and his righteousness alone that our lives are preserved. So we read the Sermon on the Mount. As next week, we're going to talk about murder. And in coming weeks, we'll talk about adultery. We'll talk about divorce. We'll talk about taking oaths. 
We'll talk about how do we love our enemies. We'll talk about giving to the needy. We'll talk about how we should pray, how we should fast, how we should seek out for treasures in heaven. But what Jesus is not doing, Jesus is not saying, add this to your list of do's and don'ts. But instead, Jesus is helping us to see. He's helping us to live out Psalm 119, honestly. To see that with this new heart, we will long to obey him. We will desire to obey him in every way. And it will begin in our heart and that we'll stop looking for all of the loopholes. We'll stop looking for the fine print. And we'll come to a point to where we trust in him and Jesus commands. Our prayer shouldn't be should indeed be Lord, help us to have hearts that love your law. God, give us hearts that love your, prof- your prophets. Lord, help us to love, to obey Jesus' commands. Lord, we enter into your kingdom as your servants, believing that Jesus is a good king and that we will be ready to do his will, living a life in obedience to him.